everyone. Welcome to the Carolina Weather Group. We're happy to have you this evening. And tonight we have Jared Bramblett on. He is part of www.meanhighwater.com, which is focusing on coastal flooding and, and urban flooding and uh, just sea level rise that's taken place along our coast and especially in the Charleston area. So uh, Jared's got this really neat website that we encourage you to go um, visit www.meanhighwater.com. I'm telling you, the, the pictures and the maps, is, it's just a, a well-done website. And so we're going to talk a little bit about this project that Jared is heading up and talk about uh, how he came upon it, what what the purpose of uh, the project is, and where the future lies for it. So, uh, Jared, normally uh, we always uh, ask our first-time guests how they get introduced into the weather world. So if you have a weather story, we'd love to, to hear about that. But I guess our first question is, um, what uh, inspired you to, to start this project? I guess the inspiration is I'm a civil engineer. I deal mostly with stormwater management, flood mitigation, things like that. Um, and I've been in the Charleston area for almost 15 years now, I think, 14. Um, so just kind of, I, I've worked through, I've seen a lot of the flooding. Um, it's expensive, the, the solutions that may be out there for us to address a lot of it, or if it can be addressed. Um, and just kind of sea level rise in particular, I guess Hurricane Irma was really a photo that I had that kind of changed my trajectory with a lot of mean, leading me to mean high water. And it's just kind of documenting where we are. And you hear about climate change and sea level rise, and it seems like a very abstract topic to a lot of people. But when you're on the coast and you can actually see water getting higher and higher, it, it, I thought it was important to document and kind of raise awareness to it. Jared, you, you just mentioned some of the mitigation projects and how expensive that those are. Um, as a civil engineer, and this is generally me asking because I have, I, I have no clue how this project is going to play out. I saw a proposition, I think it's from the Army Corps for a seawall around downtown Charleston. One of the ideas that's been thrown out there to help mitigate the flood threat. Um, can you explain what that proposed project is and what the current standings of that are? Uh, if, if you know it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm not associated with the project. I absolutely live on the peninsula of Charleston, so I have a keen interest in what, what's going to happen. Um, and I'm tracking it as a civil engineer and, and my knowledge with it. But um, over the past three or so years, the Army Corps has worked with the city to come up with a plan that their, their goal is to protect the city from storm surge. It's not looking at rainfall. It's not looking at king tide flooding. Like Their main goal is storm surge. And so that, that's kind of their mandate from Congress on what they can look at. And they can't make flooding worse for anybody by the project they do, so they have to mitigate the, the negative impacts of it. But it, they basically looked and kind of identified, a I think it's an eight-mile wall that would go up to 12 feet in AVD-88, which it'll vary from, I think, I think the mean height of the wall is like six foot higher than the edge of the peninsula now, maybe six and a half. Um, but it's, it's a pretty substantial undertaking and infrastructure project that will have a lot of consequences cascading from that, um, both environmental impact with marshes and wetlands and things like that. And then trapping water inside, you kind of get what I call the New Orleans effect with once you build that wall, you've got a bathtub inside of it. So how do you address that and not make the flooding worse? Right. And that's an issue that we already see a lot currently. And we talked briefly before the show, I went to College of Charleston. If you live on the peninsula, Certainly, we've both seen when you get a heavy rainstorm, it just sits there right inside the peninsula. Um, 
That, that's interesting. I didn't realize, and I, I never thought about the whole New Orleans effect and how that could actually make things a little bit worse if it's not properly managed. And it can be properly managed, I think. I think it's just, I think we've got to be really intentional about what we do. And I think it's, I think we're entering that phase of the project, assuming it goes forward later this year, that will, there's going to start being the give and takes and the hard conversations about like, what do we really want it to look like behind the wall? Jared, for, for those folks who, um, may have never been to Charleston. Maybe they've seen Charleston on TV, but they've never really visited the area. Can you kind of talk about it? I mean, this, you know, looking at a map and stuff helps, but um, it's, it's, there's a lot of waterways around the area and that, you know, a lot of ways and a lot of areas to see flooding. So kind of talk um, as you live there and you're working on this project, kind of describe uh, what the Charleston area is like. So the, the old adage is, uh, Charleston's where the Ashley and Cooper rivers formed to or meet to form the Atlantic ocean. Um, and so it's kind of a joke that plays on how Charleston always thought it was better than everybody else, maybe a little bit, but um, Charleston was developed in a really poor spot. Um, the, the peninsula is the, where downtown Charleston is, is bounded on the West side by Ashley river and the East side by the Cooper river. And it's very, very low. And approximately 45% of what we call Peninsula Charleston today is old tidal creeks and marshes and mudflats. And so this was land that wasn't inhabitable until we filled it in and paved it over and built it up. And uh, there's a, a local map called the Halsey map. It shows historic events. I think it was made in 1949. Shows great fires. It shows where the old walls used to be around the peninsula. Um, but it, the most interesting thing to me that it shows is it shows the original high tide lines in the peninsula. And that's where you, I've determined about 45% of, of the peninsula. But everybody jokes that if you look at that map when it rains and everything's flooded, if you avoid those old creeks, you avoid the flooding. And so in a lot of ways, we've, we've built ourselves into a lot of the flooding that we see just because it was bad fill that was, or not structural fill that was brought in. And those areas have maybe subsided over the years, but they're lower than the natural areas. So really, if you, if you go out and when we've had a big rainstorm and it's flooded, uh, the, the areas that are flooded are typically pretty close to where the old paddle creeks were. So I would assume with the numerous waterways around, and then now we're seeing um, sea level rise. You're, you, so, you know, for those folks who may have never been there, you could picture there's a city with all these waterways banked up near the Atlantic Ocean. And so there's just basically nowhere for this water to go. Yeah. And so one of the issues, probably the biggest issue from a drainage standpoint that we see when it rains is that we have the tides that cause the rivers and the harbor to rise and fall. And if 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 it's if a rain of court, excuse me, if a rain occurs at high tide, um, the the, the water really doesn't have anywhere to go because the, the, the pipes fill up with that rainwater. And the city's recently gone through and done these mitigation measures and put check valves into a lot of the storm drain system to prevent the tides from coming back into it. And they're incredibly successful keeping the tides out of the street because the tides would come in the storm drain and then actually surcharge the inlets in the streets and start flooding streets. And so it's solving that issues in a lot of areas, but it's not going to solve and help rainfall get out. So when you start looking at the tides and sea level rise and the tides getting higher and the peninsula is not changing, we're not raising it. So it, if you want to get that water out, you, you start talking about having to pump it or things like that. The challenging, expensive situation. Jared, a minute ago, you mentioned uh, subsidence in uh, 
your answer to someone else's question. And I wanted to ask about that. Uh, I've uh, seen some studies that show that the uh, land is slowly sinking in general along the eastern seaboard. And uh, it's a very slow rate, but uh, adds up to an inch or so maybe every 25 years uh, that I've seen in some of these studies. So uh, how does that factor into your equations uh, about uh, increasing flood risks around Charleston? So I, I, there's a lot of studies going on right now about the subsidence that, that Charleston's seeing itself. Um, based on my experience, and I don't have any scientific data to back this up or anything, but like the, the areas that are citing Charleston as a whole does not have a huge problem with subsidence, but relatively lucky from that standpoint. It's a lot of these creeks that were filled in and the, the consolidation of the, the soils that are beneath them when the pavement and everything gets on top of it that's causing some of those problems. Where, I mean, unfortunately, Norfolk, Virginia, I believe, has some of the highest relative rates of sea level rise on the East Coast, if not in the world, because they actually have a major subsidence issue where they're actually naturally subsiding and getting lower while the seas are getting higher. And so we're not quite as bad as they are, but it, it, it's still kind of a scary situation looking forward. Is there anything that we can do about the uh, subsidence issue or is that something that's just totally natural uh it's 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 really probably something that's totally natural i would think it'd be very hard i mean the way we build the way we pile support and, and support our buildings um one of the issues we have with charleston when it comes to it though is our storm drain systems if they're not pile supported down to the cooper river marl which is the closest to bedrock we have here in charleston uh, the, the soils are so bad that the, the joints of the pipes crack and the storm system deteriorates a lot faster than it normally would, which just exacerbates our problem with flooding from a stormwater standpoint. So Jared, circling back around to mean high water, um, I wanted to ask a couple more questions on that. How long have you been doing that? And in those years that you have been working on this project, what kind of trends have you seen in the coastal areas? So mean high water is something I launched last November or December, I believe. Um, I actually really pushed it out more in this year. Um, but it's, I've been, I'm a civil engineer, but I'm also a hobbyist photographer and documenting the sea level rise has become a, a big passion of mine. And so it, it just kind of through conversations with friends and talking about it. And it kind of got buried in a project on the photography portfolio website. It's like, maybe I should make this something else. And so I've since then started going back and Noah here in Charleston has developed a coastal flood events database, which is just a wealth of information that I've used to, and I, I they update it every month. And it just kind of tracks the tidal flooding and the sea level rise. And the stats are pretty, pretty mind-blowing when you look at them. Oh yeah, absolutely. So it's a relatively new project. That's good to know. Um, are there other folks out there that are, are doing similar observant photography work on this? Are there other people in your field, I guess? Yeah, you know, I think there are a lot of people that are, that are documenting the flooding in, in all different ways. And I hope, I mean, one of my hopes with me and High Water is it's not just a project of mine in the future, that it can become a collaboration with, with others in the area, not just photographers, but artists and educators and people that are looking to raise awareness and document what we have. Because it's, it's not only like raising awareness to what we're facing, it's also documenting kind of where we've been. I think that's an important story to tell in the future. Oh yeah, absolutely. So it's funny, you're making me think. Recently I was listening to another podcast about, um, it's actually about storm chasing and how storm chasers can use their storm photos to validate some computer models that are being run. And, and now it's got me thinking about all the, all the work that you do. Um, and I'm sure there's, there's probably some great opportunities to do, I guess, citizen science might be the word for it. 
um, to yeah. validate flooding models. Well, and you're in North Carolina. And one thing that y'all have done a lot better than South Carolina is y'all have a lot better geospatial program and like data collection program when it comes to water level gauges and rivers and streams and, and just having a better assessment and better knowledge of what's out there. And we don't really have that here. So this type of documentation is, is I think, really important. And I know that South Carolina Department of Environmental Control is interested in photos like this. And the National Weather Service is always looking for photos of flooding and things. And, and documenting things like that in real time kind of brings a different perspective to really what we're up against. I, I go out, if I'm, if I'm home, I live on the peninsula. So if I'm home and it's, it's rained and I'm following Twitter and I see that flooding has started or the police department started to close roads, I'll put on rain boots and hop on my bike and I'll go bike around and I'll, I'll, I'll take photos. And it's every time I go out, it's, it's eye-opening no matter how bad once it starts flooding. I mean, I've seen worse and I've seen, okay. It's always, it's always eye-opening. I always feel like I learned something else going out and seeing it. And I hope that the photos that I take help convey that from a documentary standpoint so that we can, use that information to, to help address the problem. I just want to read off a fact that you have um, kind of on, on your own website here um, and, and kind of address the importance of looking at this data and kind of the urgency of, of knowing what's happening. So you say on here that approximately 45% uh, of all coastal floods observed in the Charleston Harbor from 1953 to 2020 have occurred since 2010. Um, an average of 18.8 coastal floods occur per year in the 1990s. In the 2010s, an, an annual average of was 42.4 coastal floods, an increase of over 200%. So can you talk a little bit about that? We've seen, I feel like 2015, I, I kind of like to call it our watershed moment for really bad pun. Uh, but like kind of our tipping point to the public realizing and uh, not just the public, everyone realizing flooding was a much bigger issue here than I think we had seen before. That was when Hurricane Joaquin was way off the coast and sent that water hose of moisture in the South Carolina and caused pretty significant flooding from Charleston up through Columbia. Um, more worse, actually, in the Midlands than down in Charleston. But um, I, I actually had happened been to my parents' house in Florence, South Carolina that weekend, and I was trying to get back to Charleston on Sunday, and 95 was flooded, and the three back roads I tried were flooded, and then I was scared I was going to get stuck and not be able to get back to my parents' house. And so that, that was the first time that people had flooded significantly from both rain and tides downtown Charleston since probably Hugo. It wasn't nearly as bad as Hugo. But, um, and 2015, Hurricane Matthew happened in 2016. Uh, Hurricane Irma, which was actually nowhere near close to here, sent a surge that nobody was expecting. I guess people were expecting it, but the public wasn't expecting it in 2017. So we had three years with really significant flooding. And it kind of changed the conversation here politically, locally, about what we were up against. The overall, I guess, you know, we're seeing these things happen. You know, you're seeing them in person, but... um. Just kind of, I think the numbers that, you know, are on your website are staggering. I mean, here's another one right here that 22 of the 36 major flood tides on record have occurred since 2015, right? I mean, we're looking at, and, and here in North Carolina where I live, I know that it's been something where uh, last few years, the 1,000 
year flood has occurred, you know, multiple times now. And, and, you know, for us in North Carolina, um, we're seeing it on a day-to-day basis where homeowners are having to deal with it and realtors and builders and, and, but, but yeah, I mean, the, the numbers are staggering and, and, um, just kind of the urgency of, I guess, you know, what this does seeing these numbers is, is kind of puts it in our heads that, um, these events are happening and, and it is something that is urgent as far as, you know, the effects we're seeing. Right. Yeah. And I think that last year, I think 2019, we saw 89 coastal flood events in Charleston, which like just smashed our record that had been set. in I believe 2015, I think it went from 57 to 89 from the two records. And then last year was down a little bit, um, 2020, but it's, it's been a marked increase up really in the last five to seven years, probably that we've seen those. And I, I think it's important to note that these coastal flood events, um, NOAA for Charleston Harbor is classified like a seven foot mean lower low water tide as a minor flood, a seven and a half foot is a moderate and an eight foot is a major. And we saw in 2020, the most eight foot tides we had ever recorded in a year. I believe it was seven of them. Um, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but most of these floods that we're seeing, they're not significant, like storm surges coming in. They're not, they're not ones that are going to cause you're not going to see them on the weather channel causing mass destruction. They're, they're mostly in the seven foot range. They're flooding our streets. They're flooding some of the perimeter roads and it's really affecting our economy in a lot of ways. It's, it's nuanced flooding in a lot of ways, but the cars can't drive or they're driving through the salt water and that's terrible for your cars. Like the, the corrosiveness of it, if you don't wash it off immediately. And so it's, it, it's, it's these, these small little events that are just leading to major building up to more significant impacts. I think that's an important distinction there when you start looking at these numbers, because it's not like we've been flooded catastrophically so many times recently, if that makes sense. Yeah. So it's interesting, Dan, to circle back to one of your points a minute ago, uh, you're talking about in North Carolina, we've had the flooding there, multiple uh, thousand year floods over the past few years. Uh, Jared, you're obviously documenting some disturbing in in some ways, uh, flooding trends down the coast in Charleston. We've also got our friends of the show, uh, Horry County Rising in Horry County, South Carolina. Jared, I'm sure you're familiar with them um, and the the community work they do there. Or Horry County is what they're fighting is, is, I mean, it's scary because it's, it's like a double whammy, not only on the coast and dealing with not, they're not as low as Charleston. So I don't think they see the effects from like the sunny day tidal flooding as often as we see them. But man, those, those riverine events, when y'all get at the rain in North Carolina and it comes down, those, those people, I mean, it's just, it's a bad situation. Right. This flooding is, is clearly a multifaceted threat for the eastern Carolinas. I mean, Charleston is more saltwater inundation versus Horry County is more freshwater inundation. Right. Um, but just we talk about this a lot, uh, maybe on the show and especially off the show. Um, but since 2018, here in the western Carolinas, it seems like the, the faucet, the tap has just been run wide open and it's been flooding constantly. And that has effects downstream into Horry County. Um, and, and clearly since 2015, like you mentioned in Charleston, um, it, it's a scary trend to see happen in just five years or six years um, to think about where yeah, we could actually, be in the next 10 years. There's really, typically most coastal cities are at risk from three different types of flooding. You've got stormwater flooding, the rain that falls on you. Mm-hmm. You've got tidal flooding or storm surge or whatever comes in from the Atlantic Ocean. 
And then you've got riverine flooding, which is what Horry County's experienced a lot of from the devastation side. And here in Charleston, we're a little more fortunate, I guess, because you've got the Santee Cooper Lake systems up the Cooper River that kind of control the flow out of the Cooper. The Wando River Basin is a pretty small river basin. And so the Ashley River Basin is the only significant one. And it's nowhere near the size of the Petey River watershed or even the Waccamaw watershed that that's causing the issues in Horry County. So we really don't have that riverine flood risk here nearly to the extent that a lot of other places do. Yeah, well, we're, we're ex- exceptionally thankful for that in the Charleston area um, as a show. And we'll continue to cover all the Carolinas. But this, is, this has been a great conversation, uh, Jared. It's really interesting to learn about some of the stuff that's going on in Charleston. Um, panelists, I don't, I don't want to wrap this up yet. I'll let you all throw in a few last questions. <laughs> Jared, um, there was one question I want to ask. You mentioned it, and it was Hurricane Irma that um, direct impacts, you know, wind and stuff like that, you guys didn't see. But I, I believe it was the third highest tide uh, registered in the Charleston Harbor. Um, and you said it was one of those storms that kind of got people's attention of, of the issue at hand. Um, do you think that was because, you know, with hurricanes, people anticipate a lot of rain and, and nastiness. And this one was on the west side of, of Florida, but that onshore fetch was just feeding in a lot of uh, wind and, and energy and the tides. Um how did people respond to that event uh, there in the Charleston area? You know, I think it was funny. Um, NOAA had their, I believe at the time, um, experimental surge forecasting. And I'm not sure if it's still experimental or not, but it actually had almost predicted the surge we saw spot on as, as time got closer. But because we had gone through Matthew the year before, which we got incredibly fortunate with from a surge standpoint, honestly, with the way the tides played out with that one. Um, I, I feel like people felt like we had a bullet and then it was, Irma's not even close to here. It's, it's on the West coast of Florida, but just the way it came in and I, I was out with some folks that day kind of documenting it and, and at the battery. And there was one point in time where we had to shelter in place in a parking garage because of a tornado warning with coming through. So we, we got some rain. It wasn't a rain driver. There was a wind event associated with it. But it was really just there was no evacuation order called. As an engineer, like we we designed for the hundred year rainfall storms a lot. Of, like we're looking at statistics and things like that. But we're at least I've always kind of said, well, beyond this certain statistical threshold, like if it's a surge event, there's going to be an evacuation order. We're not going to be here, or you're not supposed to be here. So it's not as much of the health safety aspect of it. And to me, that was kind of the eye-opening with Irma is there was no evacuation order. Like everybody was here. A lot of people went to work that morning and got sent home early. It was, so that, that was a, and it was the third flood. It was, I think that was, you have one, you have two, you have the third in three years. That was what really changed the conversation with people here. That's interesting that you, you talk about, you know, the uh, evacuate as an engineer, you know, when a surge event happens, you're supposed to be evacuated and that, you know, I've never thought about that. That's a interesting point you, uh, you bring up there and also brings to my mind, you know, we may have to have you back on the show, just kind of talk about engineering and weather in, in general <laughs> and how, how things like that, um, happen. But, uh, you know, you have a great website and we're definitely going to pop it up on our website and, and direct people over there. But, uh, a lot of pictures um, that you've snapped throughout the area. Um, talk to us about that. I mean, your photography, obviously a passion of yours. And I mean, you've, you've really got, you've really captured, I think the scene of things because you have 
uh, obviously with rain and things like that. But you also have what we call the sunny day floods with, with just the high tides and the king tides and, and things like that. So, um, yeah, I've seen that. And I even think I saw a post on there where people can help contribute to this if they wanted to. Is that correct? By sharing their photos? I'm, I'm glad you said that. I was going to try to get that in before we left. If, if people have ideas on projects or ways to contribute or ways to educate, like I, I don't, again, I don't have a clear vision or yet of where this is going to go. And I'm, I'm don't think I want one. Like, I think I want to help start collaborating with people. I think some of the most impactful work I've done today has not been as an engineer. It's been using my engineering knowledge and connecting with other people, even elementary school kids and kind of learning how to message things and learning what people care about and, and like seeing taking people on tours and showing them what I look for as an engineer. I, I took a guy out not too long ago that he was like, how do you, what do you look for in this area? How do you know it floods? And I was like, well, look at the slope. Look at, and I told him a story where I went to Phoenix a couple of years ago and the nerd that I am, like, there's no storm drains anywhere here. You have storm drains everywhere. <laughs> it's just like that. I feel like, so I don't, I don't know where this is going to go, but if anybody has any ideas, if anybody wants to collaborate with it, if anybody wants to be a part of a project on it, I haven't really rolled any of that stuff out yet. Um, I'm just looking for people to team with and, and help develop things that can be part of Mean High Water. That's um, that's really cool, and I, I'm sure Charleston's a great great uh, area uh, with a lot of uh, weather connections there. So I'm sure you you'll be able to get that. Uh, one other <coughs> excuse me, one other question I want to ask, and uh, we're not going to get political on here. Um, so I want to take the the politics side out of it. Um, but how how is the community? addressing this i mean this the community is affected every day you know there there's po folks who have to live with this uh, like you said driving cars through salt water evans talked about it numerous numerous times walking uh, from college back to to where he's standing you know ankle to knee high water so what what's the community aspect of this so uh, it, it's funny i feel like a lot of people think that there's like uh, we talked about it before the show, but like kind of the rite of passage or your first flood. And like a lot of these floods, especially the rainfall ones and bring people out on the street. And like, it's almost like a holiday or vacation for some people. Sometimes it feels like, but as it's happened more and more, I mean, it, it, it becomes much more of an impact and the community has gotten very engaged. There's a lot of new groups that have popped up kind of like ad hoc groups that are fix flooding first and like let's focus on flooding there's a lot of controversy about where where developments are built now and there's a lot more scrutiny on how stormwater management is with these developments and it's it's a it's a fight that's still playing out um at, but there's there's generally i feel like just more awareness and again in my view before 2015 flooding was not a hot topic issue it's not something you'd go to a mayor's debate about and hear about it's not something that you'd see highly promoted in somebody's platform and now it's the only thing it's the first thing that anybody has is their platform if they're running for some sort of local office so the the response has definitely changed and then i want to bring you into this because um you before transferring to unca you went to school at college of charleston and uh, I know you've talked about it a few times, but maybe for those who have not heard about your experiences, I mean, what was it like for you uh, during these big rain events and these floods? Yeah, I mean, Jared certainly hit the nail on the head here. It's it's amazing how quickly the water can rise in downtown. Uh, I can think of multiple instances where I'd be in class and with 15 minutes of heavy rain, 
uh, on at around high tide, uh, the streets would flood. And I lived at a, in a house in the middle of the peninsula that was unfortunately always completely surrounded by water whenever it flooded. So there was times when I would, I, mean, I ruined a good number of shorts trudging home through it's, it's sewage water. It's nasty. And it takes forever to go down. Um, I'm, so I'm it, glad you said that the water is disgusting oh, and it's yeah. like, Watching these college kids sometimes get in it, especially if kayaks are one thing, but if you're on like a pool float, it's totally something else. And it's <laughs> full of so much bacteria. It's just, it's awful. And yeah. the other thing is watching people and not just college kids. This is so many people here. Every time it floods, people driving through floodwaters. Mm-hmm. You want to lose faith in humanity. That's a really good way to do it is watch these people just not care. Yeah, absolutely. I watched a girl from College of Charleston once upon a time drive her BMW X3 right into the floodwaters and completely flood it and have to get pulled yep. out. That's not a mistake you want to make, especially as a college student when you don't own that vehicle. Um, from the last but, flood we have here, I have a really nice BMW just in the middle okay. of an intersection. Yeah, they're right there in MUSC too. That always seems to happen. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but one of the things that you, you made me think of a minute ago, Jared, um, with, with the college students and it's, it's kind of a tough conversation that I'm, I'm having in my head now that the college students see these events as a bit of a party. Um, and there's certain parts of the peninsula that are certainly more privileged than others to deal with these events um, in, in better ways than, than other portions, meaning that there's parts of the peninsula that are more adversely affected. This water gets into their homes. They aren't living in these multi-million dollar mansions with the um, insurance to, to pay off any flooding damages. So there's certainly some social inequality. I don't know if that's the most, the best way to say it, but there's some of that going on in downtown that's, that's tricky and has to be discussed. Oh, absolutely. There's a huge social equity issue and conversation to be had there. And uh, even from an education standpoint, like having, like understanding why it's happening and how to properly respond to it is, is huge. And I think, I, I think I'm encouraged because I think you've seen a lot of conversation about that. You've seen groups specifically pop up that are trying to address that. Obviously, there's a long way to go. Absolutely. Um, a long, long way <laughs> to go. But Jared, you're, you're on the right track and, and steering this project forward and helping to bring some of the photos uh, to life and really let people see what it's like um, throughout the peninsula because it's, it's easy to just sit on your couch when it floods and wait it out. Um, we appreciate Thank you, you going out there and, and sharing those those images and, and wading through the sewage water. I, I make sure I'm protected. I have my boots yeah. on. <laughs> <That's good. laughs> Jared, I'll, I'll say we have a we have a drone pilot here in this uh, panelist group. So if you ever need some aerial photos of <coughs> Dan, <laughs> he might be able to to help you out with that. <laughs> Wants to come out? Come on, let's do it. Jared, we appreciate the the conversation tonight and such an important topic. Uh, we don't want to get uh, get away from the topic without you being able to promote any social media or websites uh, that that you are working on there for the folks uh, to to view what what you guys are seeing it and how they can also help uh, contribute. Yeah, so I've got the websites meanhighwater.com um, at meanhighwater on Instagram. Um, I've set up a Twitter account that I haven't really activated with that yet. Still, again, it's a relatively new project, so trying to figure out where it goes, but. Also, jtbramblet.com, or I'm sorry, jaredbramblet.com, or jtbramblet on Instagram or Twitter. Um, post a lot of engineering, flooding, photography things. So 
if you're interested, check it out. Um, and if you want to collaborate or you have any ideas on how to make this project better or how to reach out, please let me know. But Jared, we certainly appreciate it. And uh, we'll be in touch with you. Uh, we, we'll, we'll, we'll try to chime in from time to time throughout the year and just kind of see how things are going uh, in, in your area and what you guys are seeing there. So uh, stay tuned uh, and we'll have Jared back on the show. And I feel like we'll, we may have him back on just kind of talk about engineering and weather and all that good stuff too. I think that'd be a good and fun conversation to have. So I love it. Yeah, Jared, appreciate your time. And thank you all for watching the Carolina Weather Group. We'll see you next time.